This Sabbath afternoon, we again turn to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 26. The bottomless book of truth. We've been here for over a year now. And I don't think I can say that we have finished when we come to the end of our series. We have just begun, haven't we? Proverbs chapter 26. Please look for a repeated phrase. As snow in summer and as rain in harvest, so honor is not seemly for a fool. As the bird by wandering, as the swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. That's not the repeated phrase I'm looking for. He that sendeth a message by the hand of a fool cutteth off the feet and drinketh damage. That's one of those verses under potpourri of scattered verses that are not covered under certain subjects. The legs of the lamb are not the lamb. The legs of the lamb might not be equal, but the legs of the lame are not equal. So is a parable in the mouth of fools. As he that bindeth a stone in a sling, so is he that giveth honor to a fool. As a thorn goeth up into the hand of a drunkard, So is a parable in the mouth of fools. The great God that formed all things both rewardeth the fool and rewardeth transgressors. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. The slothful man saith, There is a lion in the way. A lion is in the streets. As the door turneth upon his hinges, so doth the slothful upon his bed. The slothful hideth his hand in his bosom. It grieveth him to bring it again to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. Did you find the repeated phrase? It is. And you guessed it. It's not twice like answer a fool, but three times. Wise in his own conceit. Look at chapter 28 and verse 11. The rich man is wise in his own conceit, but the poor that hath understanding searcheth him out. So our subject is to avoid being wise in our own conceit. Wise in our own 
conceit literally is wise in his own eyes. But a person wise in his own eyes is conceited. But each time, in his own conceit is literally in his own eyes. And it's an interesting thing that in chapter 3 and verse 7, how does how do the, the uh, translators translate the very same phrase? Chapter 3 and verse 7. Be not wise in your own conceit. No. Be not wise in your own eyes. All four of those, or five of those statements, three in chapter 26, one in chapter 28, and the very first one in chapter 3, all are literally what chapter 3 and verse 7 says. Wise in thine own eyes. And so our, our subject this afternoon is are we conceited? Are we wise in our own eyes or wise in the Lord? Or true or false wisdom? So there's a, a pool of verses relating to people who have wisdom and to people who think they have wisdom. We don't want to be among those who think that we have wisdom. There's a way, for instance, that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The Bible describes fools in Proverbs who are wise in their own eyes. But really, this subject of wise in your own eyes is opposite to three other statements. The heart of the wise, or wise in your heart, which is a good statement, the ear of the wise, and the tongue of the wise. So those are set in... in uh, Contrast to those who are wise in their own eyes. Right away, the Bible says, Be not wise in your own eyes. He's saying, Be wise in Scripture. Be wise before the Lord. First of all, do not be wise in thine own eyes. In the context of chapter 3 and verse 7, it's regarding God's law. Don't forget it. If you forget God's law, you're going to be deceived about what you think is wise. It means hard obedience, trusting God and not yourself. Remember those famous verses, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. Acknowledge God in all your ways, not forget God in all your ways. Fear God with repentance, turn, it says. Honor Him with your wealth instead of Spending merely upon wealth and riches. So, there are a lot of verses that tell us what a wise word is and what a wise action is and what a wise reaction is and so on. The book of Proverbs is full of wise ways of doing things or wise words, wise teachings, wise actions. So the focus is now not so much on a wise word, a wise action, but a wise person, per se. So four times Proverbs speaks of being 
wise in your own eyes, conceited. And we're warned earlier to not be conceited, to not be wise in your own eyes. Now, Proverbs 26 tells us, help the fool who's wise in his own eyes. That's the first mention in chapter 26. May I say there are three types of lost people in Proverbs. The simple, the fool, and the scorner. The first two seem to have hope. The last one does not have hope. He's beyond hope, according to Proverbs. The simple simple means the naive one in the wrong sense of the term. It's, It's good to be naive toward evil and toward the experience of sin, but it's not good to be naive biblically, ignorant of truth. So, Proverbs starts with about not being simple in the sense of ignorant. There's hope to be taught the truth, to turn from sin. The fool is leaning towards being a scorner in Proverbs. It's, he's worse than a simpleton. He's gone further, we might say, to the left. The simple is hopeful. The fool is we're concerned about. That's what Proverbs, how Proverbs treats the fool. We're very concerned that they're not going to be turned toward the right, toward the Lord. So you see, for instance, answer a fool, don't answer a fool in chapter 26. He's really concerned that we treat the fool wisely lest he continues in his foolishness and becomes a scorner. And we see even in Proverbs 1, or Psalm 1, a similar... Um, the, the blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the scornful. Now, it seems like they all, Psalm 1 also gives us three types of sinners. And they get worse as it goes on. The scorner is the worst, of the, the worst one of the three, just like in Proverbs. So, answering a fool lest he be wise in his own eyes, chapter 26, verse 5, it's saying, rescue him by seeking to correct his false thinking or rebuke his destructive acting and warn of his false doctrine. There's no contradiction there. It says, answer a fool, answer not a fool lest he be wise. Answer not a fool lest you be like unto him. I better get back to it because my mind's getting... It says... Answer not a fool according to his father, lest thou be also like unto him. But then it says, answer a fool. There's no contradiction. Don't worry about someone that takes you to this passage and say, see, the Bible is contradictory. No, in one case, the fool needs to be ignored. Verse 4, because you're just going to exasperate the situation and and, uh, he's just... In a, in a way that will embarrass you if you say anything. There's those kinds of people. It's better to just not say a thing because they take advantage of any answer because they're foolish. But then there's a fool that you perceive is is a uh, can be rescued 
that he needs to be rebuked and humbled. And you can sense that there's some teachableness in this fool. So it depends on the situation. It takes wisdom. Right. So there's prayerful hope. Perhaps we have an example like Naaman the Syrian. Remember how foolish he was when he was told to simply go to the River Jordan and you'll be healed of your leprosy. And he said, what about our rivers in Damascus? He was foolishly prejudiced and and, uh, his national pride got the best of him and and he went off in a hurry and a flurry and and, and fretting. and, And his servants were very wise and winning and they said, Master, if he'd have told you to do some great thing, you'd have done it. It's so simple. It was a long distance to take his chariot, but you only have to drive your chariot to the River Jordan. And he humbled himself. He was answered. He was corrected in his own foolishness. And the interesting thing is that he went all the way back. He was closer to home when he went to the Jordan. He went all the way back to the prophet to thank him and to praise God. You see, there was hope. Nebuchadnezzar was a king that when he was rebuked and he ate grass like an ox, after it was over, he didn't forget that he was humble. God used it to rebuke him as a fool. He was foolish. He had already been warned by Daniel, don't be, be uh, arrogant. It's God that has put you where you are. And when he looked over Babylon, he was arrogant. This is what I've done. And God humbled him. And he became a human eye. So, there's hope. And so we need, to be, we need to be ready to answer or not to answer. We need to be ready to discern how we handle lost people. And so, a wise person is what's saying here is not wise in his own eyes. We can perceive someone that is, is conceited, is self-absorbed, We don't want to be that way. So often we can slip into being wise in our own eyes instead of making the Scripture direct us and guide us and teach us. The last three references illustrate three seemingly hopeless cases of conceit. Look at chapter 26 and verse 12. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. So you see how the fool had hope. But now the person has become almost hopeless. So remember in verse in verse 5, you are trying to prevent someone becoming wise in his own eyes. But in chapter 12, 26 and verse 12, he's already now wise in his own eyes. He's crossed the line. And so, the Lord is saying that one who is now in the state of being wise, uh, a wise guy, what is the way we would put it in our day. Someone who's wise in his own eyes, is conceited, is self-absorbed. There's more hope of a fool than of him. So now he's we've gone over into the scorner portion. So the Bible is indicating one that actually is now wise in his own eyes is someone that 
is beyond hope. And of course, there's no mark on anyone's forehead. Or that's why we, we're always hopeful and prayerful. But God knows when a person has crossed that line. And so don't we see, reading between the lines, God delivered me from pride. Don't let me get this to this point where I'm, I'm just unteachable now. My understanding of the Bible is the way it is. It's just the way it is. And we need to say, Lord, please, there's so much of the Bible I don't know, so much I need to know. Correct where I am falsely thinking and reasoning. So this kind of person won't listen to reason, doesn't have faith in God, will not acknowledge the Lord, there's no fear of God. They're leaning upon their own understanding. And so, verse 12 is referring to someone that's already passed that line. Now, does the Bible describe people who are wise in their own eyes? It sounds kind of general and and, and nebulous. How do we know someone that's wise in their own eyes? The Bible actually gives us two examples. Notice the context right after this. The slothful man saith, there is a lion in the way, a lion is in the streets. The proverb is almost comical. In other words, this person is full of excuses why they can't work. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's lukewarm. There might be a bee's nest in the way. A lion might come through. And those are the days where lions roam like bears and and, uh, coyotes here. It would be like us saying, I can't go out there in the field and work. I might meet a bear that will be robbed of its whelps. So notice the context. So you have the sloth, the sluggard. Verse 14, a door turning upon its hinges. It's another kind of comical overstatement. A door that keeps turning. You ever hear, you hear the creaking, you know, if it's windy or they're just placed. Some, have you ever been in a house where the floor is just a little bit um, uneven? But in any case, the door just keeps moving with wind or movement. So is the slothful upon his bed. I'm not saying you can't turn. I toss and turn. Sometimes on my back, sometimes on the side, sometimes on your stomach. But there's a point where our, our, our turning is too far. It becomes slothfulness. Again, the sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. So there it is. The Bible says a sluggard is wiser in his own conceit. So the Bible describes one of the, there are many, but someone who's become slothful is wiser than his, in his own eyes than seven men that can render a reason. What does that mean? Well, rendering a reason means bringing good judgment or giving wise advice or counsel or discretion. So the the slothful, verse 13, is full of excuses why he can't work. Verse 14, he just is, has indolence. He's been, he's been taken over by sleepiness. He loves sleep. Turns upon his hinge. And 
verse 15 is saying, here's his psychological weariness. He has a lack of purpose. He hides his hand in his bosom. In chapter 19, 24, it says, in the dish. What does that mean? He hides his hand. It's, the picture is somebody that's ready to eat. He's ready to pull up. He can't even have the strength. He doesn't even have the strength and the willpower to bring a, 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 a spoon of soup to his mouth. He falls asleep before he even brings food to his mouth. Now again, that's not talking about someone who's so weary and so tired that they can't feed themselves. But there's a person that's... Uh, just lacking purpose, psychological weariness. And the Bible's saying that a person that's gone that far is well nigh hopeless. It's very difficult to retrieve someone that has just been taken over by sloth, sleep, indolence, laziness. That's in the Bible in Proverbs warns about laziness. And you know, people might say, Well how how current is that? Well, all you got to do is see that the that many of our congressmen said we want people not to collect um, benefits, um, um, welfare if they can work. We should not be rewarding. Lazy people. Now, it's one thing if they can't work. If, you know, for instance, a mother who's had children, a child, there are definitely extenuating circumstances. But we must not reward the indolent. Paul even said about in the church, if they will not work, they shouldn't eat. We should not be facilitating laziness. And so we should cry out, certainly. Well, again, I'm not saying this is the unpardonable sin that believers can become slothful in a sense, but as far as the lost are concerned, God has power certainly to save a slothful person and change him. So we don't have that categoric thing in the Bible in this passage. But it does tell us that this is one example of someone that's why you can't reason with them. Look, Look, the Bible says that that work was a creation institution. Work by the sweat of your face. The Bible says that we should have enough that we not just enough to pay for our bills, but try to make enough so we might give to those that are in need, Paul said to the Ephesians. Look, we need to we need to share our wealth. We need to honor the Lord with our wealth and the first fruits of our I mean, you try to reason with that person. Look, we can't let our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren pay for everybody who's not working. You see the struggle that France is having. They they, uh, mistakenly allowed 62 for the the age of retirement. And they found out they're not going to be able to afford it. And now... You know, we don't. We must. We don't. I don't think we agree with the France, the president of France, very often. But we do agree with him at least this much. He's trying to force it, the age to increase to 64, and there are all kinds of riots all over the country. It's a number. It's it's a matter of numbers. Two plus two. It's biblical. 
Now is it right? 65? 70? 75? I think Christians would realize too that you know, even if I retire from a certain job, I haven't retired from serving the Lord. And I haven't retired from being generous. I'm not planning to retire so that I quit being generous and, and helpful. There are other, many other jobs to do after you retire from a certain job. But two main examples of those that are wise in their own eyes are the slothful. Chapter 26 and verse 12. Again, how is the slothful wise in his own conceit? How is slothfulness conceited? Why he cannot work, says. He's disobedient to creation, to God's creative mandate of the work ethic. He's neglecting his gifts personal responsibility to provide for his own and for others. He refuses to develop a generous spirit that is giving. So, it's interesting how the three creation institutions are touched. Work, marriage, and worship. Ponder the sloth. He won't work. And what follows that? They won't get married because they're going to have to provide for a wife, for children, for a home, for vehicles, for food. And do you wonder why there are so many, on purpose, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50-year-old single people that just won't? The single women in our churches are complaining that 30-year-olds are dominated by video games time to stop the video games and whatever are all this recreation and work and get married and worship. They won't go to church. They won't covenant because they're going to be responsible to work. They're going to be asked to be ushers. They're going to be asked to uh, help in the landscaping. They're going to be asked to, to be a treasurer. They're going to be asked to help in different ways. Do you see the connection? The Lord deliver us from sloth. We all can fall to that. And sloth is, is, is one one way that sometimes we react we react often well several ways to depression or tragedy. Some some have their different what do they call it? Their different uh well, there are different ways of handling this. I can't think of the word, but some eat you eat food in place of depression to handle their depression. Some um, won't work. Some just sleep in and sleep in and sleep in and they just give up. They, they cope. That's the word. We, we cope in different ways. How does the Bible say we should cope when we face depression, discouragement, when we face ridicule, persecution. How do we cope as believers? We pray. Be anxious for nothing, the Bible says. Absolutely nothing. And yet we get anxious. And we show our anxiety by oversleep, overeating. Um, just could be meanness. We lash out at people when we're nervous and depressed and persecuted. Instead, we should pray. We should pray. Remember Peter Masters who 
is preaching at the Metropolitan Tabernacle where Spurgeon preached back in the 1800s. He said, there are people that come to me all the time and say, I can't overcome excessive anger. I can't overcome um, lying. Or I can't overcome... And they just come to him and say, well, I've tried and tried. He said, I'm not discouraging counsel. But he said, what I am encouraging is prayer. 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 And more prayer. Every day attack your sinfulness, your... your uh, uh, addiction to a certain sin with Lord help me Lord I, I I need to be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath it seems I'm always so quick to wrath and so so quick to speak help me and you're amazed if you live long enough as a believer as you cry out to God day after day after day he begins to as it were melt that sin away as he gives you victory slowly but surely. And all of a sudden, in God's grace, you say, wow, I used to react so, so quickly and, and, and thoughtlessly and, and meanly about that situation. And I'm not saying we're, a person is ever perfect, but God answers prayer. We've got to believe that God is the potter. He can shape us so that we are holy. So we have victory over our sins. We can have victory over our anxieties and difficulties and our sins. Yes, sloth is not the unpardonable sin. God help us to become diligent, prayerful, faithful, useful. So the sloth is one area, one person who is described as wise in his own eyes. So God help us. And this is just one of many sins, one of many vices. And so in a real sense, when, uh, when a certain sin is addictive, it's easy to become wise in your own eyes instead of confessing that sin and forsaking it and praying about it. We begin to excuse it. We begin to get used to it. We begin to say, well, that's just the way I am. Have you ever heard that before? Maybe we said that. That's a way of saying, I refuse to acknowledge my sin and repent of it. That's just the way I am. That's the way I was brought up. I was in a home that was people always arguing and always complaining and always fighting. And it's just part of me. What does the Lord say? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He can take it out of us. So we can say, though I grew up like this, God has changed me. What does the Bible say? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things become, not immediately, all things become new, slowly but surely, as we pray and study the Scripture and iron sharpening iron. You can have victory over any sin as a believer. Any sin, we can have victory through Jesus Christ. Think about it. One day, it's all going to be gone. We're going to be glorified. Won't sin at all in any way. The addicting sins will be gone. But can't we prove the Lord here? The power of God in Christ? And then chapter 28, verse 11, gives us the second, not the only, but the second 
kind of person that is wise in their own eyes. Chapter 28, verse 11. The rich man is wise in his own conceit, but the poor that hath understanding searcheth him out. Now this is referring not to every rich man. It's talking about the ungodly rich or the self-sufficient one. The rich man is wiser in his own conceit, but the poor that hath understanding searcheth him out. So the rich one here is deceived. He's wise in his own eyes. The poor one is discerning. Now this is very close to the parallel of Luke 16. Jesus was not teaching when the rich man died and was buried and woke up in hell that every rich person is going to hell. Nor was He teaching that every poor person represented by Lazarus is going to heaven. There are rich people that are in heaven and there are poor people that are in hell. But it's warning here that material possessions can blind the eyes to spiritual realities. Does a wealthy person allow his riches to become to, to, to be a platform to him be, to become proud and self-sufficient? Now we can't just say, well, a wealthy person is someone who has this much money or this much wealth. There can be wealthy people in the ghettos compared to all the other people in the ghettos. It's just amazing how proudly comparative we are in every level of society. I've talked to people who've ministered in the ghettos and, and, and there can be arrogance. This guy has a 40-inch TV and this guy has a 35-inch TV. And the guy who has a 40-inch TV is, is looking down his nose at his neighbor. It can be anything. It can be just one possession better than the other. We can allow material possessions and money to blind the eyes. Remember what Jesus said that how hardly shall a rich man enter the kingdom of God. He was talking about rich people that are like this. They become wise in their own eyes. The poor man, though, sees through the pretentiousness. That's the idea. A pretentious person is somebody that is acting like they know more than they really do. Someone that is that feels they're more important than they really are. And the, and the poor person says... You're acting as if you know more than you really do. If they're, for instance, saying they're going to heaven because they're wealthy, or they're going to heaven because of their works, the poor man is discerning and saying, you're, you're wrong. You're going to perish if you live and die that way. You've got to see that riches are, are a puff of air at the end of the day. You can fill your coffin, tuck all your dollar bills, your hundred dollar bills and thousand dollar bills, tuck them all around you and you won't take them with you. They'll do you no good in eternity. You think you're more important because you have a lot of wealth, because you can buy your way onto every board possible. You can get your, your, your uh, Hollywood Square if you want it anywhere you want because of your wealth. But do you not realize that if you die without Christ, you are absolutely penniless? Where the poor person that dies in Christ and has labored for the Lord and was discerning and went about doing good, he dies rich in Christ. Rich 
toward God. Wealthy in eternity. We know the Bible teaches there have been wealthy people that could handle their wealth without it being a, an idol to them. See how, how Abraham was? Humble. Didn't insist. Lord, I don't, I've got enough money to build a mansion, to build a, a real house. And he lived all his days in a tent. Look at Job. You read through Job, and, and I know sometimes we see him you know, sighing. Look, I've helped people. I've been kind to my maids. I've been generous to the poor. And he pours out. So you just see what kind of person he really is by the fact that he's not filthy rich, so to speak. Money, in other words, wealth and material possessions are straw men. There's no real substance there in and of itself. No eternal value. No strong, real strong condition. Jesus was like the poor man here. He had no wealth of his own. They were supported by godly women who followed as godly helps. Jesus didn't have a bank account, did He? He didn't own a home. I don't even know if He owned more than one coat or one pair of shoes. And yet He could stand before those rich Pharisees who were trusting in their, in their wealth and in their education and in their degrees and say, you hypocrites, you're going to receive greater damnation. Jesus before the rich young ruler how do we how do we handle standing before someone that we know is rich and popular and has positions? He was a rich young ruler, an amazing rich, young, and ruling. Those are three adjectives we often are intimidated by. Jesus could stand and say, "So all yeah, come and follow me." He didn't say, man, come on, follow us. We could use your wealth. Will you donate to our, our coffers? Man, i got 12 disciples that I'm looking after. Or John before King Herod. You see this? Isn't it amazing? There's a painting right there. John is dressed in camel's skin and, and eating locusts and wild honey and here he stands before a man with golden robes. You've committed adultery. You must repent. Let loose of your brother's wife. You sinned. And what else? Whatever else he told, it says, and many other things he did. And he didn't perform miracles because the Bible said John did no miracles. So it means that John was trying to hit Herod from every direction. He was concerned for his soul. He didn't kowtow to him because Herod was rich or that Herod had influence. Paul told Timothy, you face the wealthy believers and you challenge them to be rich in good works. And don't be intimidated. Don't kowtow to them. Don't seek the chiefest seats. Don't tell them to sit in the, in the front. James warns about that as well. Do we kowtow to the wealthy, to the rulers, to the highly educated? 
Are we bold and wise and discerning? As this says, the poor man searches him out. The poor man says, man, you're going to be highly disappointed if you die and you're not rich toward God. Don't use it as a platform to step all over people. Thank God if you're healthy, if you're wealthy, if you're young. Thank God. and Serve Him and worship Him. Help others. Don't be wise in your own eyes. That's the devil's deceit. Be truly wise. And that's the second part of our message that I'm going to wait until next week. Are we wise in our own eyes or are we wise of heart? Do we have an ear of the wise and the tongue of the wise? God help us to be very careful in a world that places so much emphasis on wealth and health and prosperity when the emphasis should be on spiritual health wealth and prosperity. Let's pray. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word. How we need this reminder pounding away at us day after day in a world that, especially Western society, that puts every emphasis on how we look and what we have and what we own, what we can buy, what we ride, where we live. Please, Lord, Please deliver us. Give us Your heart, Lord. If we're poor, that we would not desire to be rich, but to be rich toward You. If we're wealthy, that we would not use it or abuse it for ourselves. But, O Lord, that we would use whatever You give us to win souls, to edify believers, see the kingdom of God advanced will help us to live for you in whatever time that remains. Lord Jesus, pray for us. Pray this in your name. Amen.